This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, buddy. Nice and simple this time. <clears throat> in a world of Veltima fungicide. Five feet reign supreme. Hey, remember, less dramatic? Five feet. Just five feet. Five feet. Nope. 60 inches. Look, man, just say Veltima fungicide lets you treat corn as early as five feet. Nice. Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming sooner to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Once again, it is Dome Study with Ken Cusick. We are looking this time at the offense. If you didn't hear us go down with the defense yet, go back an episode. This week we're going down the offense of the Ravens-Ram preseason game. Ken Cusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm. Uh, this will be a fun game to talk about because the Ravens scored 33 points. I feel like they don't score 33 points that often in their style of football. No, really, really good uh, first three drives in particular, but a very dominant first half. Uh, they got into some more sluggish uh, offense in the second half. Still got a touchdown drive out of uh, RG3 that we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, very solid overall game offensively. And I feel like the Ravens from the second half of 2006, sorry, 17 on, when Joe Flacco's been healthy, have been quite an, a good offensive team. Yeah, and if you want to push a quarterback controversy, all three quarterbacks led touchdown drives. So all three quarterbacks showed at least something on on Thursday night. Yeah, that was really nice. We needed to see something from Jackson. 
and and he delivered on some things. We're going to talk a little bit later in more detail about his performance. RG3 came in at the end of the game and had a connection with Brashad Perriman that, that worked out for both of them. And, of course, Joe Flacco played behind that first-team offensive line, which, while admittedly playing against the Rams' number twos and not Aaron Donald and not Ndamukong Sue, who were very both very dominant players, uh, they, they were still able to get Flacco ample time and space on all seven of his passes, which was really exceptional. So very, very good... Uh, uh, moments for all three quarterbacks. Sure, and yes, they didn't face the number ones, but it's preseason football, so you're really looking more on how the team works as a team together rather than how they match up against the team. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, they're they are. Uh, you're looking at the individuals. Sometimes you're trying to put an individuals in positions where they're not obviously going to succeed. Uh, Billick mentioned the point that he doesn't necessarily want to see how they can scheme for free runners on defense, for example. He wants to see how his defenders can can get to the quarterback with the, just a four-man pass rush and okay. see if they're able to impose their will on the offensive line that way. So, you know, same principles would apply on offense, too. And I think particularly in terms of one offensive lineman we'll talk about, they did a lot of bringing him to the edge of his comfort zone to see what he could accomplish. All right, well, let's get into it. Let's get into it right there with the offensive line. And like you said, uh, ample time on space for Flacco. So the first line offensive line was working well. Yeah, and he, he bebopped him right down the field, obviously. Good good short passes. Uh, nice long pass to Crabtree when, when uh, Flacco escaped the pocket to the left. Now, he had a little bit more time than normally, but normally when a right-handed passer goes to the pocket left, especially one with... Uh, you know, fairly heavy feet like Flacco has, it's difficult for him to get off a good pass uh, under those circumstances. But he did. He led Crabtree well on that, and Crabtree went and he got the ball. Good play by both of them for about a 30-yard gain. Uh, we we saw Stanley, Lewis, Skura, Hurst, and Brown together, and they looked like a first-team offensive line. Admittedly, they were playing the twos again. They they played two series. The both, both of those series were 70-plus-yard drives. And then they came on with a very extended look at Sanat, who did not play every series. He was, he was alternating with Evans. Siragusa, who played all the remaining snaps for the rest of the game. Bozeman and Illuminor. Bozeman played all the snaps. Illuminor played all but a couple that were meaningful. And then Brown on the right side played well into Q4. So uh, he got a very extended trial as well. So we, we got a good look at the young guys. We, we got a good look at the older guys or the, the veteran guys who are, uh, you know, played well as a unit. And still no Marshall Yonda, but that, that starting offensive line looked quite good. Right. Um, and, they, and they covered for both Flacco and Lamar Jackson. So we got to see a little bit of each quarterback working with the same line. Yeah, that's right, especially for that first-team line to get Jackson a little bit of time behind it was good. Jackson had his best drive of the game behind the first-team line. That included that 36-yard pass to Moore and then eventually his own uh, running score, uh, avoiding the pocket. That was uh, that was really electric to, to see that happen. And no turnovers. No turnovers. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a good point. I think that got lost a little bit in this effort was the fact that they didn't turn the ball over even once. They're very good and secure with it. That was why they really had a shutout for most of the game until the Rams finally put a drive together very late against them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the turnovers are always critical. And this team, in a lot of ways, is probably going to live off their turnover ratio this year. 
I always kind of laugh a little bit when you'll hear an announcer say, this game is going to come down to turnovers. Solomon Wilcott's always used to do it. So have other. He's not the only one. But what it really means, how you get more turnovers in the NFL is by having the lead. So if the game's going to come down to turnovers, what he really means is the team that jumps out to a big lead is going to have a good chance to win because they're going to get a lot of turnovers because they have the lead. Right. So you know you got this chicken egg well, thing yeah, it's, going on. It's, it's, <laughs> right. It's the team that, that runs the ball more wins. Yes. It's the yeah, same, 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 same exact idea. Thing. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. Orlando Brown Jr. got a lot of talk coming out of this game. Yeah, so let's talk about, about two offensive linemen in particular. But Orlando Brown is, is the first one. So Maureen and I went back and we did the, the play-by-play scoring for Brown, which is a, was the big new revelation here. And, you know, you look at him and it seems like he's making his blocks individually uh, uh, quite well. Uh, it was better than I thought this game. It was probably not quite as good as I thought against the Bears. But he had 50 scored snaps. Sorry, make that 52 for Brown. Um, he made blocks on 46 of those and missed six, but he didn't have any pressure events of any sort. No pressures, quarterback hits sacks, he wasn't penalized, and he didn't allow penetration to, to have a takedown for a loss on a run play. So that works out to a .88 raw score, and with an adjustment for a couple of highlight blocks he had, uh, or one highlight block actually, a pancake, I, I move him up to point ninety, which is an A, with or without adjustment at uh, tackle. Yeah, and Orlando Brown intrigues me because the knock against him was that he's a big guy, a fat guy, and and uh, there was an interesting quote I was reading earlier today where he Orlando Brown said that when he first got to training camp, he was twenty three percent body fat at three hundred and thirty eight pounds, and now he's three hundred and fifty pounds and nineteen percent body fat. Okay, so, well, I don't completely buy that. Uh, that. That was my question for you is, that yeah. sounds amazing over three weeks. Yes, I, it, it, un, it, it sounds unbelievable over three weeks. I do believe he's really putting effort. I think he's really putting in time in the weight room, and I think he's certainly improved his physique in that time. And I think we're, we're, it's probably visible in terms of, of what he is. Um, but I, I'm not I'm not buying into this huge change in body fat and the uh, and the additional weight to go with it. A player like Jensen had a body fat change like that, might even be a bit a little more, and picked up weight while losing body fat. Uh, that took him all off season, and he worked like hell to to, to get it done. So uh, Orlando Brown, great that he's working out. Everything on the field has looked terrific so far, but he doesn't you know apocryphal statements about about body fat and his and his weight. I, I I really want to focus on his play at this point. All right, so not not buying that, but he yeah. but he played well. All right, uh, Nico Saragusa is the other guy who played a lot on on Thursday. Yeah, so so the, that's the very first good thing is that it, he played a lot. Availability was a was a big positive for him. You know, they, you always hear from these old time players that the most important ability is availability. Well, he he played in his case. Let me get to the scoring here. 50 scored snaps, made 40 blocks. Now, he missed nine blocks, and a variety of reasons why he missed blocks. Some of it because the the coaches put him on the edge of his comfort zone, which we're going to get into a little bit. There was a complex sack. It's not that complex in terms of who was responsible for the pressure because it was him. But Jackson actually walked up in the pocket trying to make a play with his legs when he probably should have either thrown the ball away or thrown the ball to an open Jaleel Scott over the middle of the field. And he kind of walked into or ran into a sack. And so I gave Syracuse a half of that sack. I, I charged the rest of it to Jackson. 
I could have, there are some people who would charge Siragusa with the whole thing, and I wouldn't really object to that strenuously either. When you put the score together, uh, 0.74 points per play as I have it scored. I give an adjustment of 0.03 for a couple of highlight blocks. No adjustment for quality of competition because I think he's basically playing replacement level guys for the Rams. And uh, grade overall is a C for that. Uh, really barely makes the C mark. That said, I'm thrilled about what he did. We talked about availability. The second is mobility. Uh, he had four of seven pulls. Now, What's great is he had this triple whammy knee injury with all three ligaments getting torn. It's just a horrific injury. And in camp, I can just say he hasn't really looked like he's moving normally, and, and things have just looked a little wrong. This game, we saw him move fairly normally, and the coaches asked him to pull a lot. Seven times, he made four of those. He made six blocks in level two. Uh, he had a pancake one of the nice things he was doing was making combination blocks very well, which means he makes a block at the line of scrimmage, leaves a guy behind for a for a lineman next to him, and then moves to level two and makes a second block. And he had several of those in this game, two that were highlights uh, as far as I was concerned. So really nice job by Siragusa there. Uh, he didn't hit on all his level two blocks. He had a big whiff on a screen pass that, that looked kind of funny. Um, it, one play that stood out among others was despite the fact that Illuminor has been, been playing all the snaps, basically these first two exhibition games, Siragusa seems to understand what's going on a little better. And they had one play where both guards pulled in the opposite direction, which should almost never happen. You could design a play maybe where, where that would happen, but the, they both pulled right into each other. And after the play, I didn't notice this in the first watch through, but I did when I scored it, you see Siragusa kind of pointing with his finger in this hitchhiker motion back in the opposite direction and talking to Illuminor about it. And then he points to the right. And so it was pretty clear that, that Siragusa understood what was going on. It was also clear from the fact that the other two linemen, actually the right tackle and the tight end were out in front of the play on the right side, blocking in tandem. And uh, pretty apparent that that, that that play should have gone to the right. So it, that hurt Siragusa's score slightly, but uh, uh, but I think it was probably Illuminor's fault. Illuminor had a very tough night, by the way. Did not uh, did not play well at all. Yeah, he had a couple false penalties, right? Yeah, false a couple, couple false start penalties. Uh, that wasn't it. I mean, he had a pressure that was that was bad. Um, he had uh, that you know the miss the misplay on the pulls. Uh, more than any other lineman, his man was in the backfield. I thought Bozeman did a pretty good job with not allowing pressure events, but uh, Illuminor had a really, a really tough night of pass blocking. All right. Uh, well, let's get who they're uh, blocking for, and let's look at some of these young running backs, like Gus Edwards. What yeah, well, Gus Edwards has, has uh, obviously played pretty well in the exhibition game. The first exhibition game, he did it both as a runner and a receiver, when he had, uh, you know, the the first and fourth longest plays of the days of the game for the Ravens, I should say, he had 12 for 58 in this game, including a 25-yard run, which was the longest run for the Ravens. Of the games they actually had five passes that were longer than that in in this game, but uh, the 25-yard run was very nice, and uh, uh, he, as a receiver, did not catch his only target. So. Didn't really have a, uh, a, a the day as a receiver that he that he'd had before, but another good day as a runner, and they leaned on him pretty heavily with 12 carries. So uh, you, you got to like that. He lost a 13-yard run when Sanat was called for holding, really ticky-tack holding call, by the way. But uh, but anyway, I thought that that Edwards uh, played very well. All right, 
Uh, the guy who did make two catches was Mark Thompson. Yeah, so Thompson is an interesting guy because he's a bigger running back. He's about 6'1", and, and he's a guy the Ravens could turn to as a pass blocker and have more chance to succeed, and also as a uh, a, um, a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield if he can do that. So he had one really nice uh, catch that he, he he had thirty sorry 29 yards on the play, but it was minus 5 plus 34 yak. So he caught the ball, a screen pass, five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and rumbled, rumbled 34 yards downfield for a 29-yard gain. Uh, he had two catches in total for 43 in the game. Uh, as a pass blocker, I don't think we saw everything he's got in this one. But uh, uh, you know, as a receiver, that's a great place to start. And that's really one of the things the Ravens need. They need a guy who can come in on third down, pass block very effectively, and be a new young back that the Ravens are going to have for several years. Who can who can combine both of those things? All right, that works for me. Um, let's go on to the wide receivers. And Darian Grant is he going to be? He's not going to be our punt returner, is he? Well, you know he's in he's in a battle with Tim White, and only one of those guys, and probably exactly one of those guys, will make the team. I, I can't really envision it happening differently because they don't really have anybody else that's that's you know stepping up to return kicks. It's between Grant and White. As a returner, looking at the camp results only, White is miles ahead of Grant. And uh, there's a couple of things about it. White does a much better job of getting to the ball in the air, so tracking it, catching it cleanly in a position to make a return. And that's really important. Grant could get away at the college level, I think, with teams out kicking their coverage probably more often, with the coverage not being quite as good downfield, with him being able to get a running start on a lot of... uh, punts that were either deep or, or were shallow and he could feed the field them easily and that's where Grant is good he's going to make people miss when he's running right at them when Grant is forced to run laterally his lack of top end speed becomes apparent he's a 465 40 guy which would be great if you or I could do it but it's just not at the top end of NFL speed and a lot of the coverage guys are some of the fastest players, you know, cornerbacks and safeties who have more speed than that than, than Grant. So if they can get him moving laterally, he loses a lot of his ability to, to make cuts. So Tim White, I think, has more straight line speed and and you know he's certainly ahead of Grant in terms of getting to the ball and getting in position to make returns. So we'll we'll see how that turns out. Grant didn't have an impressive day as a return guy. He had two returns for zero and three other fair catches. So that's not uh, exactly what you want out of your punt returner. He did have a nice day as a receiver. In fact, he had a, a you know just a beautiful iron head play where uh, the safety was called for lowering his helmet, and he really took the worst of it. And, and Grant ran right through that contact and uh, had a big yak play after that. So he had, I think he might have had 24 or 26 yards on the play. It should be right here somewhere, right, for Grant. Um, I'll find it here at some point. Yeah, 26-yard play uh, with a significant yak component after that illegal contact, and then tacked onto that 26 was another 15. So uh, really nice play there. And as a receiver, uh, you know, he made some strides to to try and catch Tim White, but he's still behind in that battle. Okay. Um, Bouchard Perriman, while we're on wide receivers, he was actually catching the ball. (laughs) He had a few catches on Thursday. Yeah, so kind of a good situation for Bouchard in a lot of ways. He was in there with the third team, so he's playing the, the, the worst of the worst for the Rams. And I, I don't mean to mitigate or make caveats for this at all, because Brashad really looked good. Um, he caught the ball well. 
not, snatching the ball as opposed to clamping on the ball that we talked about a little bit last year. You know, it's almost like two brick hands coming down and, and you know, and, and trying to clamp on a football instead of, you know, grasping it normally and not double catching the ball as, as you, you know, sometimes see a, a running back or wide receiver do. Uh, but anyway, he did a good job of catching the ball, and he, uh, Griffin did a good job of hitting him in stride so when he was on crosses, he could get yards after the catch. And then the big play, of course, he threw the ball deep into the end zone. Uh, it was a jump ball situation. The defensive back did a really bad job, despite the fact that he, he found the ball in the air, of turning to play the ball. And somehow it got all the way to Perriman's body, which shouldn't have happened because defensive back should be able to knock that ball away. But Perriman also should be up there with his hands catching the ball, not catching the ball with his body as he did, kind of like a punt returner might field a punt. Right. And But it did. It came into his body. He caught the ball, and he, and he tapped his toes down, which was the nice side of that reception, and, uh, and was uh, inbounds, touchdown, and, and Brashad Perriman had a big moment, and so did Griffin. And uh, it was nice to see Perriman, uh, you know, put some value up there. He led the Ravens in receptions with three and receiving yards with 71 and targets with four. So, you know, he got to be a big part of the offense. In fact, uh, if you look at it, Griffin only threw the ball seven times and four of them were to Perriman. So he was his favorite target by far. And, uh, uh, you know, Perriman, Perriman made good on this opportunity. And, and I guess the ideal thing would be for Perriman to move up and get a little more opportunities with some of the other quarterbacks. And maybe with Flacco would really be the ideal situation. Um, some people say he's burned his opportunity, shouldn't get another chance. It, that's just silliness. I mean, you know, Rashad Perriman, the, the front office is not going to make a mistake and keep Rashad Perriman because it's the wrong call. At least I don't. It, it may end up being the wrong call, but they'll make an informed judgment about whether or not to keep him, given their other roster constraints. So don't worry about that. You the, the best thing for the Ravens is for Brashad Perriman to play very, very well. Um, and I don't believe they're gonna they're gonna drop a receiver they really ought to keep because they keep Perriman. Right. Um, so speaking of other receivers, Jaleel Scott is one of the rookies in camp that. Got a little bit of excitement behind him. Yeah, fifth round draft pick, I believe, from New Mexico State. A good, you know, had a good college career. Showed some hands that were really incredible on his highlight tape. He has had a very tough first couple of games. He's now played sixty snaps. Okay, I'm using the game book total, so those include penalties. He's had four targets in sixty snaps, which isn't good. That's a that's a low total. He's caught one of those balls for nine yards. Also had one intercepted. So if you, it's four, only four balls, but it's 60, 60 snaps on the other hand. The quarterback rating throwing the ball to him is 0.0 so far. So obviously not what you want. Uh, and you know, he's, he just has not looked like he's getting separation at all versus NFL corners. Nor is he really using his body effectively to make reception. So I'd like to see both of those things happen more. Whether it's more vertical routes where they where they try and throw him open. Uh, the one, you know, one of his four targets was an end zone play where I thought he did a very poor job of running through contact. And Jackson actually left the ball in the field of play, which quarterbacks don't really always like to do when they're in the corner of the end zone. But he left it in the corner of the end zone where Scott could have had it. But Scott had a hard time running through the cornerback's contact to make a play on that ball. Would have been a, would have been a great catch, but even getting closer to that ball would have been something I would have liked to see. So anyway, 
Julio Scott off to a tough start so far. Hopefully he can turn it around. All right. Um, one more wide receiver for you. Chris Moore showed off his hands early in the game with pulling down a, one of Lamar Jackson's passes. Is that that's a guy that he seems to be taking a big step up this year? Uh, oh yeah, I mean he's he's been terrific in practice. For my money, he's a number one. But you know the, the they have those three veteran receivers who are the number ones. Moore now a third year player, special team standout, and has looked just terrific. Uh, he, he looks in a lot of ways like a different guy. I mean he's. He looks bigger and more muscular to me. Uh, he, he goes up and makes very strong physical plays for the ball. He's got good separation in practice, so it's not just that he has to be physical. On the throw from Lamar Jackson, I would have said that throw was probably 70% more, 30% Jackson. Jackson put the ball in a good spot for a jump ball, but more went up strong for the ball, threw hands, made the catch, brought it down in traffic, and and uh, and clamped it uh, to the body so he did a good job with um, with that play on a, a 36 yard throw from Jackson uh, I, I can't say enough right now about what I think of of more he'll be a he'll be a big asset for the Ravens this year that's awesome um, I don't want to don't want to push a, a quarterback controversy or act like there actually is a controversy mm-hmm. but I do want to get to Lamar Jackson because if there is a quarterback controversy I think it's whether or not Lamar can back up Flacco this year so whether or not we need RG3 and yeah, I, I, I want to get to Lamar because he does things exciting, and then he also you look and he's not a ready for the NFL at the same time. So if we can get to some of the pros and cons of Lamar Jackson, and I think just like we did with the defense uh, when we're breaking some stuff down, let's get the negative out of the way first with with Lamar. Okay, well you I, you see I've got a pro and con list in in my in my article, and I'll I'll go through that, but but jump in with any other pros or cons that you see uh, as well. So. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll start with the cons. So he, he moved up in a clean pocket. And we talked about this on the uh, when we are talking about Syracuse had really given up the pressure that, that was the sack. But, but Lamar left what was at the time a clean pocket to move up and try and make a play and got sacked at that point when he could have either thrown the ball away or thrown the ball to Jaleel Scott who was open in the middle of the field. So multiple options there. Didn't do a good job on that one. Uh, that was at Q2, 1129, if you want to go back and look at that play, by the way. And that, that's a common mistake mobile quarterbacks make. Yes. I'd say they get sacked a lot more because they hold the ball longer and they move around in the pocket trying to make a play with their legs, and that often gets them into trouble right. where, they, where they end up getting sacked. And, then, and of course, sometimes they get free and they score a touchdown, as Jackson did in, yes. uh, in this game. Uh, so anyway, the, the other, the second con I've got is he threw that room service interception that was dropped by Nate Holly. Now that doesn't show up in the stats as anything more than an incomplete pass, of course, but it sure should have been intercepted. Much, much as a couple of the other balls he threw should have been caught. Uh, he went seven of seventeen passing, and that in- excludes the spike. So he's seven of eighteen overall, but he had a, he had a, a spike because they were trying to stop the clock. Uh, he had a significant number of his yards come after the catch in this game. Now, the one exception is the long ball to Moore, which was 33 plus 3. But I mentioned that the pass to Thompson was minus 5 plus 34 on a screen pass. So I, he doesn't get a lot of the credit for throwing darts down the field that were you know 12 yards from the line of scrimmage and then put the receiver in a position to get 15 yak. Minus five plus thirty-four yak is a you know a lot different than that. So he he doesn't get all the credit for for his passing yards in that sense. Even that Chris Moore pass that was all on Chris Moore to pull that in. 
It was it was about seventy percent more. It really was a nice uh, throw by Jackson, where he put it in a position where where it was a good jump ball spot for Moore. But Moore high high pointed that ball very well on the play, and, and then he maintained control maintained control through contact. And those are the things that just you know that that really made that play more than the throw itself. I I also did not like the fact that Jackson took an unnecessary hit in level two. There were more than this, but but this was the worst one, was at quarter one, 225, when he ran and, and there were three guys in the area. And that's the time you got a slide in the NFL, but but he didn't and he, and he got hit by two of them. And uh, that wasn't good. I just, I, I wanna see him take less of those sorts of hits. And then if I had one more thing to say, it's that Jackson is a good, option quarterback where there's a handoff possibility and then he might run the ball and he might throw the ball that's the rpo offense of course i'm describing but he needs to do more to sell that fake on the back end when he actually delivers the handoff a good example of that was at q2 729 so he handed the ball off to either edwards or thompson i forget who the run went up the middle and it was an opportunity for him to just sprint to that right side freeze that edge defender, maybe get a linebacker from the inside chasing him. Uh, it might not have worked, but then it might have. And on the plays where it does work, it's going to have high value because uh, you, you may allow the running back to just beat one guy in level two, or you may allow him to break a tackle for some uh, significant additional yards. So uh, e- either way, uh, you know, he, he's got to do more to sell that fake, which involves more activity on his own part after the, the uh handoff that he does deliver all right um well let's get to some pros then and i got a pro for you he is fun to watch yeah he sure is fun to watch and that that touchdown was absolutely freaking electric to see him break the ankles first of that lineman and then of the defensive back as he meandered in the end it didn't look like he was running hard at all just you know it's he's moving at a different speed in terms of cut ability than those uh those yeah. defensive players. And it's and it's plays like that that is going to cause your average fan to be yelling for Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback, reg- regardless will, of everything else. You know, uh, every incomplete pass this season, he'll be the most popular player by Flacco. He'll be the most popular player on the team. Right. I, I, I shudder to think that we're going to be constantly going back from, you know, every interception, a, a picture of Flacco and then a picture of Lamar Jackson on the sidelines. And I really hope network TV does not do that to the Ravens. Uh, it, w- it would just kind of suck to, to, to just have that be the question all season. Right. Sure. So anyway, he, he, he did play one series with the offensive line, as we talked about. He drove for a TD with them, and it was a very good cruise control drive. He did good things. He got only one of two pass plays um, that were with ample time and space, and he had another one where, where obviously he ran for the touchdown when it didn't end up being a pass play. So uh, he did a lot with uh, with not quite as good protection as Joe had. Uh, that was special. He had that nice, very nice deep ball touch to Moore. Um, he did a good job, I thought, putting the deep ball where the other, with one exception, where the other team could not get to it. The, the one exception was that, that uh, room service interception to Holly that was overthrown to Andrews in the middle of the field. Right. But but he did a good job on that end zone play to Scott. He did a good job on the on the pass to Moore of putting the ball where the where the other team couldn't get it. Uh, he was victimized by a couple of drops. Jordan Lasley had a bad drop in this game. So anyway, yeah, rookie receivers 
hurt him in this game. He was victimized by a couple drops, uh, and that, that was something that if he had a chance with the number ones, he might have had a, a, a better opportunity. I think if I wanted to look at one more pro, he avoided a sack that I don't think there's a lot of QBs in the entire league could have avoided. It came at Q1 with only 22 seconds left. The Rams rushed six. The Ravens only had five, just the offensive line into block. And there was a free runner directly up the middle. You know what they say, pressure up the middle is the hardest pressure for a quarterback to deal with. And yet Jackson was quick enough to escape the pocket to the left Picked up three, two other guys, so three total that were that were chasing him down, and he still was able to get the ball back to the line of scrimmage, thrown away out of bounds. So uh, that's a tough sack to avoid. It's the kind of sack that can end up being a 15-yard sack instead of just a seven-yard sack. But uh, but anyway, there's not very many quarterbacks in the entire league that could have avoided that. So that really kind of completes my list of pros for him in this game. A nice balanced, you know, effort of things. A big step forward in terms of knowing what he was doing. Didn't have an interception in the game, even though maybe he should have, but uh, but a, a good game from that perspective. And I think overall, you know, nice step forward for Lamar. He needs to continue to grow uh, before he's ready, I think, to, to be the Ravens starter anyway. Do you think he'll be ready to be the backup? You know, that's a great question, and, and it's one of the really interesting ones the rest of camp. Uh, it may be a case where even if he's not ready to be the backup on, on week one, they think he can grow into being the backup by the time Flacco might get hurt if you project right. a you know, mid-season kind of injury for Flacco. Um, if the Ravens, if, if he's injured, or if Flacco is injured early during the year, the Ravens will have the pick of street quarterbacks, which could very well include RG3, by the way, uh, and some other guys, to try and help save the season. Okay. So they might try and do it another way if they if they do that. So uh, anyway, I think the, the Lamar Jackson still has some time to grow during the season. It doesn't doesn't necessarily have to end on opening day with a decision to keep RG three. Gotcha. All right, let's get to the mailbag hashtag film study mailbag to get in your questions on Twitter, and uh, we'll get to as many of your questions as we can on the show here, and then Ken will also answer ones that sometimes take a little bit more time or need links or whatever. He'll answer you on Twitter as well. First question up comes from Jimmy. Which undrafted free agent running back do you think complements Alex Collins the best? Okay, that's that's a really good question, and, and I keep coming back to the, the Ravens. The guy the Ravens need is a guy who can pass block and catch the football on third down, both of those things. And it looks like, to me, Thompson might be the best choice from a one, um, among the ones they have now. I don't really believe Buck Allen is the—he's certainly not the long-term answer because he's a fourth-year player. But I'm not sure he's the answer even for 2018. So it'd be—this is an opportunity for a player like Thompson— uh, or, you know, or one of the others to step up and be that third down back the Ravens need. That's also a position where the Ravens could use some surplus talent they have at a number of positions as it stands right now to make a trade at cutdown time. So they can identify the best pass blocking back who's being cut and trade somebody they have a surplus, whether it's an outside linebacker or a cornerback, a uh, uh, wide receiver perhaps. Uh, you know they've got multiple positions where a defensive lineman where they where they have surplus talent and they're going to have to cut somebody as it currently stands. All right, uh, Ed follows up with uh, Nick Boyle excluded. Which tight end has shown the best blocking ability so far in this camp preseason? 
Okay, well, Nick Boyle is the is probably the team's best best uh, blocker, and then after that, I'd say Hurst has shown the most. What was exciting about Hurst is that on the twenty three yard run in this last game, I believe it was twenty three yards, but wh whatever the case was, it was a run right, and Hurst got way out in front of the play and made a block downfield, really nice block downfield on that play. And I want to see him do inline blocking, but a lot of the time a tight end is downfield blocking on a running play as well, particularly. You know, if it's something, some kind of run-pass option play where Lamar Jackson ends up uh, running the ball, you want to have Hurst, you know, five, eight, ten yards downfield, thinking about, okay, who could I line up against now and 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 give Jackson a better chance? So, uh, good stuff from Hayden Hurst. All right, um, on Jackson, what uh, from Jaron F? What improvements in Lamar Jackson's game did you see between the Hall of Fame game and the Rams game? Okay, well, he, I think he did a better job uh, looking for receivers downfield and throwing the football. Uh, he did a better job throwing them where they ain't, kind of like the old Wee Willie Keeler thing. Right. He kept the ball away from the defense a little bit better than he did in that, in that first game. Uh, I don't know about telegraphing his throws, if I'd really, if I'd really speak to that. I thought he, you know, he threw more balls that were catchable in this game, even though his, his completion percentage hasn't been higher in either one. He was victimized by some drops in this one. So th those are pretty much the elements. I mean, we knew about his legs already. We were, we were confident that we'd see big plays from his legs, but we saw more from him as a, uh, as a quarterback in this game throwing the football. All right, Fred, I asked, is it too early to give up on younger players who can't seem to be healthy in their career, like a Max Williams, Kenneth Dixon? Well, Max Williams is a fourth-year player, so this is the critical point. We have to make that judgment. Do you cut the guy, and he has no option value remaining? Uh, you know, you got to look at it this way. is If Max Williams ends up being good this year, the Ravens have to pay market value for his services next year anyway. So whatever his level of play, he's a market value player from this point forward. So that's what I mean when I say he doesn't have any option value left. The Ravens don't have cheap years of service remaining. Kind of baseball, it's very obvious too. This it works the same before arbitration, but uh, but in football, it's very important, and especially since you're managing a salary cap. All right, final question. Zach wants to know about Joe Flacco. Is this the year that he gets to that four thousand number? I, I, I don't need an arbitrary limit like that to, to know that Joe Flacco is having a good year. So uh, I think, you know, if Joe Flacco ends up being a game manager this year because the Ravens' defense is so dominant that they're creating tons of turnovers and the Ravens have the lead early in a lot of games and they're, they're running the clock out, that's just fine. So, uh, you know, he's got a set of receivers that is, I think, good, but I think, frankly, their quality is overstated by the typical Ravens fans. They don't have the one superstar receiver, that's for sure. Crabtree, if you look, has scored some touchdowns in recent years, but isn't that superstar receiver. John Brown could be a deep threat, but he's no Torrey Smith. Uh, so, you know, you, you have a, a a set of players that, that the Ravens want to romanticize very quickly here, and I, I don't think these I don't think as much of these veteran receivers as other people seem to. Does he need to get to the four thousand to guarantee a job for the following year? Nah. No. All right. Now, I think if he, if he manages the team and, and has 3,700 yards and be okay. you know, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, yeah, he'll be fine. All right. All right, Ken. Thanks for uh, breaking down the offense and defense as well. I mean, we're putting out the, both these episodes on Saturday and Sunday, so I know for many of our listeners, they're listening to these back-to-back -back on Monday. So uh, 
finally, we want to tell everyone the next thing they can do with their Monday morning, which is check out your write-ins over on Russell Street Report. Yeah, I appreciate that. So they're on Russell Street Report. If you look for Film Study Ravens Ken, you can usually find them in Google, and uh, you'll be able to see a more detailed approach to this, particularly have Game Pass. You can go back and see these specific quarter-time references and go on. Uh, we mentioned if you're a PSL holder, you got the you got the uh, email this week talking about your free Game Pass. Uh, that's that's how I write those articles, is so you can follow along play by play with what I'm discussing. Um, in in terms of uh, Twitter at Film Study Ravens, very active on that. Uh, love to hear questions and comments, and you get in a good analyst discussion if you toss a good question out there. There's a lot of banter going back and forth about uh, about the questions that get answered. So uh, questions get that get asked. So really appreciate that. Josh, tell them where you, they can find you on Twitter and your podcast. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Josh Soroka. Make sure you tag those questions that come in at with the hashtag film study mailbag. Makes it a whole lot easier for me to find them when we go through them on the next show. And you can check out my work at section336.com and see uh, podcasts and lots of Orioles talk. And hopefully more and more Ravens talk will be coming to that site as well soon. Okay, I'm seeing that the, the hashtag quit for wit show up more and more. Yeah, true. <laughs> not not really going to get into it, but yeah, they if, if they suck and they keep losing this season, it's not a bad thing. Bobby Witt Jr. could be their draft pick next year. Right, right. And if you bring that guy in and you get sign this Victor Victor Mesa guy, then yeah, this farm system looks a whole lot different than it did at the beginning of the season. Of course, it already does thanks to the guys they've traded. So get through this year, get through another two years that'll be rough, and then we should be having some fun baseball again in Baltimore. I can't, or we will speak in a few days. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.